Michael. How are you today? Very well, Luke. As always, very well. As always. Tell me a story. Well, I think um, since we may have last broadcast, there's been a state election in New South Wales. Um, I've uh, turned two years old in my role as commissioner, which uh, is a nice. It's a milestone. I've got to be honest, and uh, I think uh, many of our listeners, well, some of our listeners at least, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, sorry if those missed out. Uh, enjoyed a lunch um, quite recently to celebrate that milestone. So that was very, very good, and uh, in true testament to the uh, incredible skills of the sector, um, a highlight. Or low light, depending on your perspective, was uh, the no, power, no light, the, the no power light. going out at uh, pop and tone, or the whole block indeed, and uh, somehow miraculously, uh, the, the team managed to serve up a, a, a lovely three-course meal without any power. I still don't know how they did it. But what about you? And, uh, they deserve an exceptional shout out for that. Like uh, zero light into the entire restaurant, the entire block was down. Four hours, no power. I think Hamish had to go and get his Bluetooth speaker from an office was the only music that we had playing with 40 hospitality leaders sitting around hungry and uh, drinking um, cocktails. So um, they did an amazing job, um, without a doubt. Um, mate, for myself, um, I don't know what to tell you. I don't think I have any exciting stories. I've actually spent a week at home for the first time uh, in a long time, which is good. Market-wise, it's been a really interesting start. This is only the second podcast we've done this year, actually, which is strange. We need to pick up our frequency. But yeah, it's been a very interesting start to the year from a talent perspective. I think looking back, if we were to compare, you know, November, December to now, it's an exceptionally different market. It feels like the high, I don't know if we covered this last time, but you know, that was a couple of months ago. I've had a, a few consistent months now of seeing what it's what it's like this year and the hyperactivity has gone um, in the market from, you know, compared to the levels that we were seeing last year. The desperation seems to have subsided, which is great. And uh, I think businesses are able to make more pragmatic choices in terms of who they're bringing into their teams if they just don't have that urgency that was there last year so the backpackers are definitely back the casual workforce has softened without a doubt so it's actually a much nicer place to be i think businesses are probably feeling more like they did pre-covid than they have since covid if that makes any sense whatsoever yeah yeah it's interesting uh anecdote but our good uh, friend justin newton mm. who i think has since i opened up bondi pavilion i was down there it's an incredible looking venue you get to dine but he uh he said mike i haven't seen this since whatever year 2000 or something where he had people turning up with cvs in print looking for work in, in yeah. down there in bondi and of course um you know what a <laughs> what a seemingly different environment to where we were some time back and i know it's probably not universal across the sector but um it's a it's encouraging to hear and you know i think like um it's uh from my perspective at least you know the industry as a whole seems to have turned turn that corner is the vibe I'm yep. getting. and um now we can hopefully you know get get some time back to think on on other issues that are probably um important for, for the sector as well that's the thing i think just to clarify i don't know if it's of any value or interest but um i think that casual workforce yes uh, where we still see a lot of challenges in that leadership space i'm sure we'll talk about it with our guests today but that subject matter expertise in you know either a culinary or an operational role even marketing commercial roles whatever it might be um we're still that 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 talent shortage has not subsided dramatically it's definitely slowed down but yeah so that's probably where the focus is right now on trying to uh build up those stocks again and hopefully get some some people coming back into the market or just growing back into their roles now that the pace has slowed down a bit they can actually you know upskill themselves or will be upskilled and, and one of the questions which this is uh, like is to what, you know how there's this period where, for example, the hotel sector w- weren't running at full capacity because they just didn't have the staff. So, mm. and then, and and similarly in terms of uh, venues, uh, you know, it's clear that venues aren't u- utilising their full trading, uh, legally permitted trading window mm-hmm. because of either lack of demand and, and but I think more commonly, a, a, a sort of staff shortage. Are you seeing like, uh, you know, a growth in um, occupancy, availability, and then also in venue trading? Like I can think of a few examples. A growth in occupancy in terms of businesses opening themselves back up? Yeah, our hotels back to full whack basically in terms of all rooms available as opposed to only 80 to 90%, etc. which was the case. Yeah, interesting. I actually, I had dinner with Julian Clark last night actually 
actually. Um, and we were talking about this. Yes, I think we also had a chat with, sound like I'm dropping that, I don't mean to, um, Wayne Taranto last week from Avolo. So two um, very different hotel groups, but of similar scale, I guess. One's more regional, the other one is more suburban. And I guess in short, yeah, they're back to full occupancy, I think. Um, widely reported that uh, accommodation sort of sector is back to the 2019 record levels that they were experiencing, which, you know, if you go back for even 12 months, everyone was like, will we ever get back there? But um, I think a heist in a couple of weeks is going to be a really positive retrospective and probably forecast, our, uh, you know, overview of the sector. Businesses, I think this, I think the interesting thing for me around the trading hours within on-premise is that I don't know how many businesses will, even if they could, will go back to what they were trading previously but i had to you know chat with a prominent restaurant group in melbourne um and they had probably the most iconic breakfast venue in melbourne um which they stopped they stopped serving breakfast there due to covid and they will never reopen it for breakfast which for me was like i don't know why like you know you, people get off the plane and go straight to this restaurant for breakfast it's that you know it lines out the door kind of thing but from the cost model it just it's a much more profitable business for them to not do it. And I think a lot of businesses will not reopen, say, Sunday, Monday or Monday, Tuesday and just go to a five-day model, even if they could. It's just a more they've learned how to run a more profitable business because they've had to. So it'll be interesting to see how many go back to full hours just because they can or how many you know, maintain altered trading hours because they've figured out it's more profitable. I think it'll be the gaming pubs that go back to full whack or... You know, those businesses that just trade at such a level that they know they're going to cover their, um, you know, make money. Um, but there'll be a lot who don't. Oh, we'll wait and see, I guess. Uh, so tell us about today's guest. Today's guest is Andrew Lewis. So Andrew is the managing director of Alara Learning. You know, I, I, I have no data on this whatsoever, but I would suggest they are the dominant or um, most prolific training provider within the hospitality sector. If you look at the... I guess the caliber or sort of scale of the businesses that they work with is very available for a um, range of different sort of large operators. So they do anything from sort of cert, uh, cert training courses, one, two, three, four, whatever it might be, and then uh, skills-based training um, for the hospitality sector. So given the prominence and focus on training at the moment, I thought it would be a good idea to get him on and just hear what he's seeing, um, what trends might be emerging, and just have a chat in general around developing people. Well, I'm looking forward to a good detailed chat. We've crossed paths a number of times, Andrew and myself, but never really, um, you know, uh, well, we have broken bread by candlelight, as, as we've discussed, <laughs> but uh, we haven't had to sit down and had They're a romantic. So um, looking forward to it very much. Nice. So let's get stuck in. So welcome, Andrew. Thank you for joining us on the Back of House podcast. It's been a, uh, a long time coming, um, getting you on as a guest, but we're finally here. So thank you. You're welcome. Looking forward to it. So we've given uh, our listeners an intro um, already, but um, I guess why don't you kick off and just tell us about your your journey, I guess, how you got into the uh, – or where, to, where you are now. Obviously, I know you're in a, in, a, in a different kind of part of the market prior to, to Alara, but um, give us your backstory from very early days right through to where we are now. I sort of grew up in suburban Sydney, you know, in a, an emerging suburb called Kalani Heights. I think my parents bought a thousand square metre block and built a house on there. It was in a cul-de-sac. It was great. You know, you went home when the lights went off and, and you know, everyone's doors were open and you just walked in and it was very communal and, you know, it was very <coughs> it was very entertaining, I think. We had, and a lot of families around there had the same sort of age kids, which was great. So we sort of had a really good upbringing. And my parents, we entertained all the time. So, so that's probably where I got the bit of the hospo introduction. Parents liked hosting people over. Dad would wake up every Sunday and say, what am we going to cook on the barbecue today? And be before you knew it, half the street was there eating and it was very, it was great. It was, you know, couldn't have asked probably for a better upbringing. Yeah, really enjoyed it. And I think, you know, when I look back and obviously reflecting and when I knew I was coming on here, what sort of drove me into that hospitality space and where we are now, it's like well, my parents, so we, we dined out a lot. As a family, we went every Tuesday night. We went out for dinner to a, a Chinese restaurant in Roseville Chase called Quok Thai, and every Tuesday night, without fail, we went there, which was which was amazing. So we were. I didn't have a traditional Anglo Anglo bringing up with meat and two veg and stuff like that. We sort of diversed a lot and ate 
ate out a lot, dined out a lot, and, you know, I just sort of had a bit of passion for it from there. And it was sort of instilled early in life. Um, and then the journey from there, obviously went to school, wasn't that committed to the educational side of school. So I sort of, I, I suppose I fell into hospitality. My first job was at Forest Hall RSL cleaning ashtrays around the poker machines, which was... Uh, <laughs> Which, which was interesting. Dream job. <laughs> Why did you ever leave? Well, they stopped smoking in. Uh, right. You know what? I actually quite enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed the interaction with people. I mean, not the cleaning of ashtrays, obviously, with your little paintbrush and your ice bucket that you used to tip it into, but it was good. And then, you know, from now, I just moved into moved into work behind the bar, which, which was great. I then um, obviously finished school, didn't go to uni and I'd studied at William Blue Hotel Management School, which I were we were the guinea pigs. We were the first year that it that it opened. And look, I really enjoyed it. So it was two years. Part of that I did a traineeship at the Southern Cross Hotel, which is now the Vibe Hotel down in um Bathurst. Uh no down uh, down, you know the one I mean, down opposite the Crown Hotel, the pub on the corner. That street oh, down yeah. there, down, down yeah. that way. Um yeah, and then I went from there to the Ritz-Carlton for the opening of the Ritz-Carlton in Double Bay, which really instilled in you what service was all about. You know, they were very predictable. Like, you were lining up cups with pieces of string across tables to make sure everything was the same. So, to me, I learned a lot, but I didn't really tick my boat. So I went and then went and worked in pubs. So I started being assistant manager at the Chit Hall in Redfern back in probably 1991, just after it was done up. And I stayed there for probably three or four years. And then I travelled over to London. And then I was running a chain of bars over there called Babushka, which were vodka bars. So we used to infuse vodka with Smarties, jelly beans and chocolate and make all flavoured flavored vodkas which was kind of fun. I was like, I was getting into it. I, I liked the interaction with the people. and I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. So I came back to Sydney and was like, you know, like every young guy without too much idea, oh, yeah, I want to open my own bar. What do I need to do? So I actually thought, well, I should go and try and start selling them and then I can really understand what they're worth, look at the financials, look at from a from a sales point of view. So I got in and started selling pubs as a pub broker with LJ Hooker. Then I went and got my own franchise with Rain and Hall. Stayed there for a while, sold my first pub. Uh, owner wouldn't pay my commissions. So I had to get my commissions off the purchaser. I said to the purchasers, don't pay me the commissions, but give me a little bit of equity in the pub. And that was with Dan Brady from Red Cape, Nick Wills from Tillian Wills and Joe Soleil. So three pretty substantial people in the hospital space and have done all very well out of it. So and it was, that was Marlon in Ulladulla. Had a little share in the Marlon in Ulladulla. Never really eventuated anything. I left early. I think the, the boys did all right. But that was sort of my intro into that space. And I think reflecting back, the, especially that mid-tier market, what I call hospitality, those pubs, restaurants, were never really corporatized. So then you started seeing the bigger players coming in it with your private equities and some of your listed firms coming in and started playing that. So I left Rain and Horn and went worked with CBRE behind that international banner and I had a bit more weight behind it. And look, we did we did very well out of it. Sold some great pubs. I mean, what I thought were amazing prices, but they're probably double that now. And then I've always been one that's loved the industry and, you know, wanted to sort of give back in a way that People could think it as, as a career because, you know, it's more than just cleaning ashtrays or pouring beers. There's a lot of facets to a, a big hospitality business, you've got procurement, marketing, accounting, all that sort of stuff. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to get, get a training business. So I left the pubs when I thought the yields couldn't get any tighter, which they obviously have. But I got out and started up a training business, which, you know, did RSA for Wyong Leaks Club. That was the only client that we had when we when we started, and um, from there we sort of just grown organically. And now, as we probably deal with most most of the groups and a lot of the hotel groups in Australia, and, and you know, clients took us across borders. We ended up the drinks group took us into Queensland because we're doing the fiddler down here, and they had some pubs up there. So we grew into that. It 
sort of branched the offering a bit into the retail side with the detached bottle shops in Queensland. But um, from there, that was a lot of learning and that's been now going 14 years. So we've done a lot of training in that. And, you know, off the back of that, we've created, it was actually a request from Sarah Maxwell from Solitel, can I create some micro learning modules online that they can use for onboarding their staff. So we created some e-learning modules, micro modules, that we now put on an LMS and we we just offer that as a subscription based out to the industry and we branch that business out and that's now called Alara Global. So there's those two businesses and they both complement each other. It's a good vertical. We've got so, a lot of clients that use both and a lot of clients that just use one or the other. But yeah. and then out the back of that, we um, during COVID needed to more premise in Brisbane. So we took a site and a CBD and I put a hotel license over it and opened a restaurant and three bars in the middle of COVID and couldn't really get up there to see what was going on. But as it stands, it's turned out okay. And again, it was probably more of a, a vertical play for me. It was great. I needed to, one, you want to keep current in our space, so you need to be at the coalface, I think. It's great for our trainers to be in a, in a live venue and actually absorbing it. So it's only going to enhance their delivery. And we use it a lot for filming micro videos that we put onto the platform and sell or subscribe to our um, to our client base. So all three of them um, seem to be going quite well. And that's um, that's the journey from, you know, Clean Australia to Fosfolara itself. That's uh, fascinating. And uh, just on the infused vodka um, module in the training, like, is this one you pay personal attention to? Or how, what process do you go about? Is it just as simple as putting the Smarties in the bottle of the bottle and seeing what happens? Or what more? Uh, what can you do? Uh, yeah, it was pretty basic. <laughs> putting, Smarties in, putting Smarties in bottles. It was, it was actually quite funny because they used to go to France and bring back the cheap vodka in the car. And then they'd give it to us and make us put it in absolute bottles with Smarties. <laughs> but it's actually funny. They in, in the UK, they actually get tested quite a lot. They actually come around and take temperature of the alcohol because if it's a certain temperature, they can tell whether it's actually 40% or under in proof. So they didn't do that for too long. It's um, yeah, highly legal, but that's yeah, such a flashback. Highly illegal. <laughs> I still... Remember uh, the red skin infused vodka days, and uh, that was uh, not a highlight of the uh, hospitality sector's no, um, it wasn't journey. Of the industry at all. Oh, look, I think the chili ones was was okay, and then Absolute came out with their lemon and their orange flavour and pepper flavours and stuff like that. But yeah, no red skins and Smarties and jelly beans. No, nah. is flavoured vodka even still a thing? I was gonna, I was gonna ask. Yeah. I don't know. Like it's, uh, I, I lost my fascination with uh, um, flavored vodkas when in Dubai I uh, had the misfortune of a bottle of vanilla um, absolute breaking in the back of my, my, my boot. And so just think through fi- what 50 degrees heat does and vanilla vodka just kind of just permeating through your car. It's like, <laughs> I'm done with this. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, well, I guess like um, it's been probably superseded by other beverage um, categories. Pretty good marketing for a while there, I thought. Um, yeah, I think I think their market's definitely advanced since then. So, like, can I ask like a random one here? Like, you're um, such an impactful educational service you're providing beyond. But like, your memories of schooling yourself, like, we you mentioned you weren't necessarily the best student or didn't really buy in. But like, was there any? You, you know, you've sort of educating generations now. But as a student yourself, were you a good student? Did you? school what was your no do you know what it's so funny you asked that michael i wasn't a great student but i think i actually found a real passion for the hospitality industry that's why i like enhancing it and that's why i think i still don't think we start at the grassroots enough with the space i don't think we get in at school levels in year 10 11 12 kids and actually give them a real example of what success looks like within hospitality and there is a successful mode in hospitality you know, it was the last, I mean, it was the last industry to really have a proper HR department. Like, you know, HR was on the back of a coaster or in a shoebox underneath the desk. It was, it was the last, and it was, yeah. So, and I think it's just been hard to, to break that barrier. Look, I mean, I still speak to clients now that go, oh, you know, they're only here for means ends. They just want their pay and stuff. So, you know, I don't really think we should invest them. And I just said, well, then, you can't whinge about the staff or you can't whinge about the industry if you're not going to give back and start investing in them. 
because I can tell you, everyone out there, we all offer pretty good food. We all offer the same beverage offerings. We've all got supplier agreements, you know, and our, I think we're very lucky in Australia that our food offering is pretty good. We've got access to great produce and, you know, but the only big point of difference is your personnel. So if you're going to ignore your personnel, you're going to be, you're going to be in trouble. Have you found, I mean, one of the reasons I thought it was quite timely to have you um, on now is uh, from my perspective, and you may have a different one, but um, given the talent shortage, the shift from from employers, operators to a, you know, a, a greater training focus seems to be pretty tangible. Like I spent a lot of time on LinkedIn, obviously, and uh, just looking at your business, the number of clients that you announce is coming on board, you know, seems to have accelerated pretty significantly i think there's been other businesses that have popped up and looked to come into the space as well but do you share that view are you seeing that the the mentality has has shifted sort of quite broadly it is shifting like i would say majority of the businesses now will be say how do i attract retain and grow talent so you know education plays a part in that like people 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 want to be able to have that you know, that career path. It's so much better for the business to promote internally, invest in the staff. It's better to take someone from a glassy to a bar person to a supervisor than keep bringing in that middle tier. I think that middle tier is probably the hardest part to fill, is that supervisory duty manager going into manager level in, in that mid-tier hospitality space is probably the hardest one to do it. So the good businesses have a lot of structured training programs around that to give those you know, those up-and-coming people, the the opportunity to grow and just that opportunity to become accountable, like understand what business is. And that's the really rewarding side that, you know, hospitality is now starting to take it seriously and offer career paths for kids. Because I think in the past and even today, we still miss a lot of great talent in the space. We lose a lot of talent from not sort of understanding and nurturing and giving them the opportunity. I think there's probably a lot of people that have come in and left that could have done really well. And you look, I look at some of the, the great operators, like who I still probably rate as one of the, one of the best is, you know, Brad Jenkins. Like he started in hospitality while he was at uni and then I was gone on, you know, it's probably one of the best operators at that big pub level in Australia and done very well out of it. Well, you know, and he fell into it, but obviously identified him and has moved through it. But I think, yeah, we do. We we miss a lot of talent. We don't identify talent early enough within the space. And I think by providing education or even mentoring or even just asking them what they would like to do or even giving them the opportunity to try different parts within the space is, yeah, it always works. And you can then start identifying. You only need one or two really good ones to take through with you and it just makes such a such a difference to the business. That makes sense? It does. your business and how you interact with your clients how does that i guess just from a, an operational or functional perspective how does that work is it a point of view or is it a case of you getting out to venues and actually being on site and training people that way or is it more off-site majority of our business is face-to-face on site within the venue i think the market or the education space within the hospitality is becoming a bit more blended it's that deskless workforce having the ability to access a library of content online is pretty powerful and it's a good way of identifying and giving the opportunity for people to self-explore it's interesting we look at with our online content in in australia 80 percent of the courses are compliance they really the operators aren't driving them into the soft skills or the product learning or you know that opportunity where if i look in asia it's flipped it's all about enhancing their soft skills their product knowledge like because there are courses on there on the history of whiskey the history of gin you know rum all that sort of stuff now they'll go in and do all those courses where australians will do your bullying your harassment your manual handling your food safety i say refreshers and some of them are starting to dabble into the soft skills but not 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 as much as i would say ios 
the answer to this could be very obvious, but what, do you know what the reason is for that? Is that that we're more regulated than overseas? Or? I think I think they're more regulated. Yeah, I think Fair Work is pretty pretty tight on that, and every every business needs to be able to offer those courses or run through that. So yeah, it definitely it's a compliance, and you know people train through fear. And you know, you know, this is one way of alleviating the fear by making sure that everyone does those courses. But you know, I think last last month we completed just shy of fifteen thousand courses online across our groups, which is to me sounds like a lot. I don't know what I'm comparing to, but you know, it sounds like quite a lot. So the uptake is is definitely coming, which is good. And is there, if you're looking at the businesses that you're bringing on uh, now, or even you know, just your entire customer base could be older or, or new? What's the between online and offline? I reckon it's probably 50-50. But we are, uh, look, our biggest course is definitely that cert for leadership, cert for business. It's creating your future leaders. Like our future leader programs are definitely the most popular across the industry. As I don't think we don't, as an industry, they don't really, they still a bit have that mentality. They're casual, they're here. Do we really need to train them? We'll just butt him up. We'll give him a quick lesson. They don't really invest in training them at that entry level. But, you know, and I think that is the long-term problem because then you don't have that funnel of people that are trained to come up into that supervisory level. But then, you know, they open they open that up and then we design bespoke leadership courses with them and it seemed to work really well. I mean, we did it with Maryvale with the bronze and silver program with, with Kate and that was, uh, that was a great success. And a lot of those people that, have done that and have gone on to other clients have sort of taken us with us with them, which is great. The compliance stuff just, you, you know, obviously resonates. And I recall um, when I think Luke interviewed me years ago on his other podcast, um, I've, I can just hear him talking about the point at which historical issues, there was a, such a focus on compliance in Sydney and, you know, and, and to the, at the expense of uh, experience, I think if I'm putting words or remembering correctly, and, um, you, you know, it's an interesting part of the journey, like for our, us as state government now, just, I guess, thinking about a few things that are relevant to this conversation. I'll give you one example is part of my work says to try and diversify audiences and district appeal such that you end up with multi-generational attendance as opposed to concentrated audiences. Why is that relevant to this conversation? Well, if you if you can have a, as you're starting to see, venues that are able to have minors on premise, um, but still function well and not compromise the offer for adults at the same time. You know, that, that's a that's a, a positive portrayal of hospitality to young minds that isn't being done through, you know, you know, a education lens. It's being done through a societal lens. Um, so there's a, it's a sort of a bit of a tangential discussion, but, you know, that, that that's a sort of one area that I was smiling over as I was listening to you speak about. Uh, because getting into the education system to is, is talked about a bit, but then the question is how do you actually do it? Yeah, how do you do it? Yeah, yeah. In a meaningful way. And I don't, I don't have the answer to that, but um, I do know that there's a new government elected in New South Wales and um, the Deputy Premier is the Minister for Education, you know, so I think it's like, uh, and, and the Minister for Western Sydney, so I think it's an interesting one to, to contemplate for a new government. How do you um, boost talent into uh, the area from local? Because local is a, uh, without, you know, offending anyone who works in the sector at all, but if you can have local talent, you tell the story of Sydney as, as part of the service, which is, again, going back to your point, that's what makes us unique. As much as I love Negronis, they are relatively similar wherever you are in the world, um, but it's a, it's a service style. So anyway, I'm off of my own little uh, trip here, as you can tell, just uh, thinking about some of the concepts that you're, you're, you're mentioning, and I think your lens is just fascinating. And uh, if I have a question, it's not on the script, but it's, you know, you, you look across all the um, different verticals that you're now in and because I know that your business extends across outside of hospitality as well commonalities variances you know learnings from other sectors is there any kind of um you know you must have insights that you use to, to yeah help. I do look and I, I think it's talent is always the it's always the uh, question I think you know talent and I think people are starting to digitalize and get a bit more tech savvy i think but definitely is it's talent how do we how do we as i said the first bit is even across the sectors and we really try and stick tightly to that sort of customer service based sectors we don't really go outside that is how do we attract and retain and grow and even bringing to your point is grow local talent right so how do we how do we have a pool of talent here and i think what you touched on earlier is opening up the experience to that younger ones if we can't get into schools and can't 
influence them that way. We let's start influencing them by because at the end of the day, we we provide experiences, right? Let's start influencing them by providing experiences within the hospitality space and opening that up. You know that may that may change a few people's minds to to entering into the sector, which is what we want. There's so many different ways you can look at it. I, I actually had a chat with, and this is maybe relevant or not, I don't know, but I'm going to say it. I've had a chat with uh, Scott Boys this week, who'd obviously previously been on on this podcast. And we we're talking about, it was actually his his idea, but it, it I haven't stopped thinking about it since. And it's quite, it is quite relevant to, to this, I guess, in terms of um, your previous point around people leaving the sector. But how do we actually create an environment across businesses and employers of not only of scale like a core, for example, but an environment where it's it's good to share talent and there's some kind of collaboration around, you know, so this person has been in my business for this many years and they've reached a level where they they've probably hit a ceiling. Where can they go next? And actually creating those pathways, not only through your own business, because that's quite, you know, people are limited in a business. That's always going to be a case. If they want to go to a certain point and you can't facilitate that, where are you going to send them next? So there's, I don't know, there's, there's, a, there's a problem to be solved or an opportunity to be sort of sought out there, I think, in terms of businesses maybe collaborating a bit more and, and whether it's across sectors from on-premise into accommodation or um, the other way. I don't know what it is, but it, it's, it's a potentially a good solution to help, you know, extend a, a journey beyond your business that shows someone what their pathway could be through the entire industry as opposed to in you know, just in one specific entity. Yeah, absolutely. I think a great idea because you're right. I mean, there's going to be a lot of businesses where you do hit the ceiling and you don't have that opportunity to provide for them. And I think the beauty of having a business and, you know, be able to get people to that level, I think you've done the right thing. A business is really succeeding when, you know, staff or personnel go to another organisation and grow and they say, oh, where did you get your learnings from? And, you know, they mention previous business that they're in, then you know you're actually doing something right. So, but I think, yeah, be really good to get a personnel hub i just i just i wonder, i just wonder whether the industry would be open for it you know you're stealing or you're taking you know, i want to keep them it's it's a it's a tough one the thing is they're gonna leave anyway like if they if they've reached a point in your business so have them leave to the right place where it's actually going to keep them in the industry as opposed to see them exit potentially or have a poor experience like it's almost a duty of care topic in some respects don't you think like if yeah. you're going to leave my business, and and you can you can never make the decisions. I've clearly been you know had a lot of thoughts on this. You can never make the decision as to where someone's going to go, but you can also you know point them in the right direction and say, hey, the, this is an employer that we really value and think is aligned with with you for the future, and on you go. So uh, it's uh, it's a really interesting idea. What were you going to say, Mark? Sorry, I didn't mean to uh, cut you off. Like it, it's one of these like let's not the let's not forget um, COVID discussions because at the in the middle of you know the. The, the, the acute um, shortage, you, you know, and Scott and I were, you know, we ideated, you know, this idea is knocking around, hey, because if you look at, and I'm not um, going to offend half the listeners by not naming their um, businesses now, but you got, you line up Qantas, um, Maryvale, Swill House uh, as an example and say, like, you could have a, and a course, eh? you could have like a career across um, a program that ran across all these businesses, right? Like, you're, this is the kind of uh, finishing school uh, high-end stuff that, like, celebrates and, like, really puts a halo effect around the whole industry. And we've got these assets here. And, you know, in a crisis, we come together. Um, and then uh, when things go back, we're like, oh, you know what? You know, I've got a different view about a different agenda. But it's one of those sorts mm. of things that I think that we should, we should I, I indeed pitch this into uh, government um, last year or to, in the middle of the crisis and just, you know, wasn't able to bring people together. But interestingly, YCK, which is, uh, you know, um, part of the district program that we run, where you've got now 20 bars, this is exactly what Carl's looking at, you know. To, mm. It's probably the highest concentration of quality bars globally, number one. Number two, if you're trying to attract the best bartenders globally into Australia, what about a, a, a six-month rotation through seven of the world's best bars in one district, right? Like restaurant service, bars, like whatever the different disciplines are. It starts becoming a, you know, a, a, a collaboration model. I don't know. I feel like... You know, we talk about a lot of shit in this podcast, right? But in terms of like, in terms of, you know, thought-provoking, challenging, deep issues for the sector, if you want to really differentiate us um, here in New South Wales, across Australia as well, but is is really these types of questions that sit at the heart of it, which is why Scott's like, you know, in the right headspace. 
Yeah, I think the um, the maybe Sammy boys just had that maybe cocktail fest, right? Where they brought in the bartenders from all around the world that did activations in some of their venues and bought one or two of their cocktails with them and and sold tickets. Which I I, I didn't go to any, but I had some staff that went and said they were really good, really successful, and had a good vibe about them. It's a very topical, and I think I'm going to get this right, but I think they just got bought out, didn't they? Maybe Sammy. Did, yeah. yeah. And so what it's telling you is that this that's not collaboration, that's just acquisition, right? Like it's just another form of the same objective being achieved. Yeah. So it's yeah. sort of happening in the market whether we like it or not. And so, you know, how do you how do you sort of accelerate it and be my, my challenge to this? We're off to Singapore to do activations in two bars up there in for cocktail week in the beginning of May. So we're taking over Barbie Coast and Hong Kong twenty eight. For a night with two of my staff that work for me, or what, what I call my professors in that bar and beverage space. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Asia do it quite a bit and share, but there is, I think there's 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 a bit of a program behind world's fifty best bars and obviously restaurants, and I think they they're moving into the hotel space. But the bars one, they they do have a program with Suntory where they identify best bartenders and then move them around to the best venues in the world and give them opportunities to learn from the best. You just probably, it's not probably on the scale that it needs to be. That's a sort of one off one person. But, you know, I love your idea of being able to share talent globally because it is one of the industries that it is global, right? As you said, I can have a Negroni here or a Negroni in Singapore. They're pretty much going to taste the same depending on who's making it. But, you know, I mean, it's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to twist too much. So I think um, I think that global collaboration would be would be amazing, and yeah, as we just saw it, it seemed to work really well with the maybe Sammy boys. I mean, just thinking back, to, we were all at the lunch that we had what a couple of weeks ago now, and um, you look at the people that were there. Getting all of those people into the one room at the one time, I think, has been an objective of ours for I don't know, Mike, a couple of years now, just purely because you think. You know, Scott was there, obviously. You're going to have people that are going to speak to other people who, you know, they've all got very common interests, very common objectives. So it doesn't even have to be a highly structured program. It's like, you know, like-minded business. Hey, you guys want to collaborate and send people on a different journey. It is it is confronting, though, I think, for a lot of people because, they, you know, like you said before, sending talent out of your business to another business, you want to keep them. But the reality is they're going to go anyway. So it could be a way of, you know probably um laboring this point a bit but it could be a way of trying to solve that that succession planning and middle, middle management topic i think yeah. because there's a there is i feel like we lost a whole generation of people through covid who would have had those couple of years who to go through the supervisory into middle management and up and then they've just jumped straight up and so you've got you're yeah. just lacking a, a generation there i know it's not a full generation but it's a, a cohort of people that would have come through the industry at the same time We've seen school leavers during COVID have had two years of working from home and getting benefits, right? They actually don't know. And I've had some in, in my business here that have left going, I just don't want to come to an office, uh, like more comfortable at home, which is, which is a bit of a scary reality. And I think there's probably some underlining issues that are still going to come out from COVID because there is a whole cohort of probably, you know, two years of people graduating that have not worked and have been locked up and don't don't understand it. they didn't come in and learn how to bartend and then how to be you know close down a bar and then and then this is just, this is just in hospitality it's the same like they didn't actually learn how to go out no. they didn't understand that behavior of going you know that when you're 16 17 going to house parties and learning how to socialize in those kind of alcohol driven environments and then suddenly they've been at home for two years and then they're hitting pubs and their behavior is just what it would normally be In terms of, I guess, your perspective on the sector as a whole outside of just the training, are there any sort of trends that you've picked up on just, and it may be, you know, born out of requests for training, but um, is there anything tangible that you, you've noticed over the last bit or you see develop? Definitely. There's a, there's, a, there's a big push to streamlining processes, getting into, you know, some, some, especially with our online process, we do a lot of integrations now with the time and attendance and HRS systems. So, you know, they have one source of truth. So people go in under their job roles, it swings them into their training plans. They do it, it swings them back next into the roster. I think, you know, it's freeing up the time. It's, it's 
you know, there's a lot of venues still now that, you know, managers are doing one and a half roles because it's still hard to find those managers and they probably still don't have the experience. So I think people are looking to streamline. I think tech's starting to play a big part within Dr. Taylor's space. But outside that, again, I think it's, it's all around their personnel. I think that the industry's bounced back. I think, you know, venues are now pretty much most of the ones that have survived are back to back to pre-COVID sort of levels. I can sort of make comment on that with our venues sort of back and we're doing we're doing weeks that are probably bigger than pre-COVID. So if people are out there, they're still spending even though given the economic climate. So how long that lasts for, I'm not sure, but people are still going out and still spending. But I think, yeah, I think it's just tightening up the processes, I would say is probably what most people are, are asking for. In terms of, I guess, the... The, what you're seeing just in terms of execution what is it that you see the best operators are getting right like if there are outside of what you've already mentioned obviously but if you if you could give any bit of advice to a an operator well look, there's a lot of it i think uh, one you've i mean obviously you've got to have a good venue to attract ta- talent i think so the, you know i think the good operators get it right from everything from their offerings to their ambience to their fit outs to their food but uh, the, the really good ones have a succession plan for their staff and you know they 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 really look after them they they create that journey for them they can create that path they can create that opportunity and look some of the some of the bigger groups have have a, have a, a bigger advantage because they actually have room to move and, and other uh, other areas but it still shouldn't hinder the smaller groups from still investing in them. but i think yeah depends people that do it really well are the, yeah, are the ones that actually yeah invest in it and i think just the industry has become a lot more professional from when i started it was very i think from even from an owner level and it just had a casual mentality and I think that just reflected downhill, and that's why people just treated it like a casual job. I didn't turn up, don't ring, don't have to tell my manager, just won't go in for that shift. You know, like it, it's, but it's, it's come a long way now, you know, and as we all know, and we know people that have done extremely well out of these and some of these businesses, you know, from the sales that we see, yeah, <laughs> these assets are worth a lot of money. Yeah. And you've got a lot of unskilled labour look after assets that are, you know, or business values that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. It just wouldn't happen in the other the other side of town. No, it wouldn't. I think that scale topic's pretty uh, an interesting one. Um, I'm not sure if we've covered this, Mike, on the podcast before, but in terms of there's a perception around scale being a great talent attractor, you know, in terms of people wanting to be in businesses that have, uh, you know, a large number of, whether it be properties, venues, whatever, but um, there's a perception that that obviously enables you to grow or or have a different trajectory for your career path. But I actually think small businesses have, there's nothing negative about large businesses, but to think that that's a a challenging factor, I guess maybe that's true for some part of the talent market, but it's also being small is, can be a real advantage if you lean into it. You know, if you've got, you've got an environment in which, you know, some people or workers have really close direct contact with an owner which can be really attractive for a lot of people so starting out 100 percent, like the bigger ones you might be a bit of a number which is normal behavior when you're getting into large groups but totally. if you can get in with a good operator in a small venue they're agile they move you know mm-hmm. you might be pouring these one day then you might be cleaning or taking keg deliveries the next or you might be you know or you might be washing dishes or helping out plate up food but you can actually really get a good feeling for it yeah but again then it, it come i think it comes back to the i remember when i was at the tudor hall my first owner used to write dates on lemons and hide them under the fridge and you know the old saying you got time to lean you got time to clean Clever. have you you know and you'd be like yeah the place is spotless and he'd get on his hands and pull out and like nah i've never heard that one i love that one, 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 one i'll adopt on the home front um shortly <laughs> Uh, leaning into it and actually, um, you know, from a talent attraction perspective, it, it, it comes up so often. But yeah, that that there's not everyone wants to work in a huge business where you know that's that's just the the environment that you're in. So um, celebrating those aspects of being a small business because you wear so many more hats when you're in a small business. You get yeah, to do absolutely. you know so many different things that you just don't get to do in a large organisation because you need the structure in place. So but yeah, it comes back to what we're saying: the small businesses can be the funnel for those larger businesses like your Acol and stuff that they come. They're well rounded. They've been well trained. That's again, I suppose it's the industry too. And 
what I do love about it. I mean, you look at some of those major leadership traits that hospitality just instill in you without you even knowing. You're like, you've got to be an effective communicator. You've got to be a team player. You don't turn up, you really let your team down. You have to deal with conflict every now and then or quite regularly, depending on, you know, what venue you're working in and stuff. So it does sort of instill these personal behaviours into you without you actually really realising it. And that's why we do a lot of pre-employment programs where we train kids that are, you know, a bit lost or don't know what they really want to do. And I'm going, just give it a go. Like, it's going to, I think it, hospitality is a springboard into any industry. It just, most hospital people come with a hard work ethic. They're mm. generally a team player, especially these days. They generally have a, a good communication skills, or at least they know how to talk to you, right? Yeah, and I think a high level of empathy. I just wanted to jump in and ask one quick question that just popped into my mind. But in terms of the flexibility topic within the sector, do you have any anecdotal insight as to how businesses are approaching that? Because there's a lot of businesses that I've seen offering now four-day work weeks. And and I only reference this because getting young talent in, there's still the perception of the the cumbersome hours that you have to um, undertake to be in hospitality. Yeah, It was funny. I, in my venue... I shut Sunday, Monday and half day Saturday to attract talent during COVID and coming out of it. So people had that weekend or two days together off and it's worked, it's worked quite well. Had a real issue in from front of house and back of house. So yes, that there is that flexibility. But at the end of the day, we can't sugarcoat it too much. Hospitality is a 24 seven operation. So, but I think. Yes, you can have flexibility around your rosterings and your days and rotating it. I think, again, and this comes to the, the good operators would look at that. You know, but back in the days when we started, probably, Luke, you know, it was, you know, timesheets were still done on a piece of paper and a folder behind the bar and you're pretty much on the same shifts or you just turn up or, you know, but now the systems and getting back to that tech thing are, are pretty advanced. So you can actually, you know, pre-plan your rosters and try and work them out in an effective way to not make the industry and that perception as being very antisocial and, you know, your mates, are, you're all going out at night and Friday night and you're working behind the bar or they come into your bar and annoy you. Going back a step, like we, um, you're just talking about, I guess, that pathway in, in um, hospitality for people and one of those often is into, is in, into ownership. You know, if you look at Tim Phillips is coming to mind, you, you know, Blackpool into Maryvale and then into his own bar and then that bar then spawns a new generation of talent like it's an interesting journey for anyone going uh you know starting your own business um I'm, I'm still graying from the result of starting time out what for you like you you're obviously quite entrepreneurial like listening to the story and if your own career path um and doing things like going to brokerage before starting a venue and stuff like that's quite like uh, insightful really like you and, and you've traced the his, history of your business but what's it been like personally for yourself as a business leader uh and you know the ownership experience and cash flow and all the kinds of headaches inevitably accompany uh the the the, the mad pursuit of, a, of an enterprise yeah yeah good question i think i was the Really, really, you learn on the on the go. Uh, I think I, I remember watching, uh, I can't remember who it was, but someone said, like, you know, to be successful in owning your own business, you've just got to have constructive paranoia. So, like, and, and it's, it's... it's Constructive paranoia. Okay, I'm getting the vibe, yeah. So you've just got to be over everything without being, like, micromanaging or paranoid. Like, you just, you know, and, and as... I say to the guys, the bigger you get, the faster you move, the harder it is to retrospectively go back and fix. So, you know, you've you've really gone on it and you've got to develop your staff. You've got to grow with them. I think, you know, your staff make the managers or the entrepreneurs look good. It's not it's not us. We we're we we're the vision and the, probably a bit loose. I hate emails longer than, you know, five lines. I don't really read them. I don't really like responding to them. But I you know, I I employ to be able to help me in that space and empower the, empower the people below you. But I think, you know, it's it's just being it's being over everything and and being personable and really working out what makes people tick. You know, you don't want a whole business of 
or high achievers. You know, you, we don't mind our nine to fives that bring a balance in. I, you know, we've got a very diverse, culturally diverse business too. So, you know, I think you've got it. You know, there's a blend of personalities that help to help to grow a business. And I think, from my point, I've sort of learnt all that on the go. And I picked a lot of it up. I remember when a job at the Ritz Carlton, one of my managers just said, "Just if you ever own own business, make sure you employ a real diverse workforce. Don't get them all the same. Get different people from all backgrounds and all you know, all all parts of life. And you know, it, it sort of resonated in me. And I think, and to be honest, I think I think it works. No, I, I couldn't. I agree. I've I've found that personally, like with with my own workforce in 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 a previous business and now in government. Um, all right, like let's go another on this same track as an entrepreneur, two-parter, my favourite trick, um, darkest day, like as an entrepreneur, and then brightest moment. Oh, look, darkest day is like when you've got, you know, pay run on the 15th and you're like, where's the money to pay the stuff? <laughs> it's like I remember when when I first started and I've got a, I've got a board and it was payday and they were like, how much money you owe? And I was like that. Well, I said, just go get it. And then you can pay your staff. So since that day, I've never been short of cash. So I've always, you always got to follow the trail of money in and out of a business. And sometimes when you get start succeeding and money starts flowing, and it's just an automatic trait to start spending. But I think you know you don't necessarily always need to spend. So you know it's always I always look at a business's cash position over their P&Ls or their balance sheets. I think cash position is. As I say, cash is king, but yeah, oh, it's always it's always following that dollar in and dollar out. Proudest moment, look, I I really think, and I'll be honest, it's the the space that we're in is one. I'm I'm very passionate, love the hospitality industry, but we do as a business, we do have the opportunity to enrich people's lives. We really have that opportunity to make a difference, and you know, we do some really amazing stuff with some indigenous programs in far north Queensland, where these people are the first out of four or five generations to ever get a certificate and get a job and it's 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 life-changing so i think being able to to how to have a business that can enable that is really it's pretty special in terms of the we talked touched on it at the beginning in terms of your own vertical um integration like do you want to just sort of give listeners a Two, two things, actually, a size and scale of Alara in terms of your own staffing levels, and then also tell us a little bit about Leonard's. Yeah, so as I said, look, we started with the learning space thing, went into the to the micro learning, which obviously enhanced the learning space, and we're, we're still developing that. So we're building a lot of micro learning leadership programs that we'll put onto the Alara Global platform that can cross over both businesses. And I always thought, you know, we... We pitched ourselves as, you know, market leaders in that training space. So I thought, you know, whether wisely or not, we let's let's open a venue and really sort of put our money where our mouth is and like produce something pretty special and also use for what I touched on earlier, but to keep our trainers current, uh, to use it for creating content for our our library and just being in the industry and trend. So, you know, Leonard, Leonard's has worked has has worked really well for us in that space. I've actually I've had lunch there with Luke once. That's very very good. I'm not just saying. So that. yeah, no, and it works really well. And look, it is a challenge running running a business remote. Rem- well, when I say remote, when I'm based in Sydney and it's in Brisbane. But look, it it uh, it does it does well, and it does complement and benefit things. We're just perfect example is we've got a and this is of attracting and retaining talent. I suppose is we've got a mainland. Chinese boy that works for us in the bar who just loves mixology, just wants to be the world's best cocktail. He's out here meant to be out here studying accounting. Parents are mortified that he's working behind a bar, but he loves it. So we're now, we've just picked up a global hotel chain that want our content translated into Mandarin. And he's now our subject matter expert in reviewing the content and making sure that it flows on. So that's a, probably a perfect example of how the the businesses work really well together yeah nice that's awesome well i i, I think kate tones or emmett saraki uh called it out on her version of, or her episode of the podcast saying that uh that's the venue she would go to and, and um again not just saying it it is actually exceptional the food was amazing and the um, wine wasn't too shabby either but i know that was i think from your personal collection so you um 
Is there anything else you want to cover before we jump into the final five? I've kind of look. I think no. I think we've sort of touched on everything. And I, you know, as I said, it's 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 a great industry, and it's an industry that we, you know, I think your podcast does an amazing job in creating that awareness around it, and you know, getting people to have a you know have an insightful chat. About it. And I think you know, from a collaboration, I think what we've touched on is you know as an industry we can't think we can't lose sight of that bigger picture which is attracting talent into it and you know being able to share talent or you know swap ideas and all that sort of stuff i think i think sometimes the industry in the past has got a little bit siloed and a little bit protective around their 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 doings but i think you know we can't if we're in the space we've got to think of the bigger picture and i think so i think what you've touched on is um it is quite an exciting topic i think uh, maybe that's just a personal thing for me but we've seen it was in, when i was in the industry proper it was quite parochial like you would not we wouldn't talk to the guys at Maryvale, for example when we were at keystone it was all it was quite adversarial um in many respects but it's it's good that that seems to be shifting and that's probably the next big evolution i think for for operators that's obviously not relevant to product but in terms of the way they they operate and engage with others in the industry it's it'll be exciting to see if uh if it gets nailed um by you know a, a group of operators or the industry as a whole Mate, thank you so much for your thoughts. Let's jump into the final question. So hopefully you've had some time to prepare some answers. I do know they I were. did, actually, but, yep, I'll uh, I'll give it a go. You sure? My email was more than five lines long. Are you sure oh, no. you've had a chance to I've, read it? I've had someone break it down for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so firstly, uh, your favourite uh, book or podcast, go. Favourite book was The Alchemy by Paul Coolio, I think is the Spanish guy. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to blow your guys' trumpet. My favorite podcast is your podcast. So there you go. As it should be. Uh, what is your favorite album or artist that you are listening to right now? Look, do you know what? I've got a 10 year old daughter. I don't really get to listen to my own music. So I get a lot of Taylor Swift and Harry Styles at the moment. So I don't really know much outside that. So there you go. That's, that's, and do you know what? I've actually sort of grown to like it, mate. I'm actually I'm all I'm I'm totally fine with Harry Styles. I like his album; I think it's great. Um, Taylor Swift, not so much. Favorite drink right now? Favorite drink right now is I'm I'm actually drinking a bit of Chardonnay at the moment. Any particular brand that you would call out, producer? Lakes Folly, 2020, oh, nice. 2021. Um, they make a beautiful Chardonnay, and actually their Cabernet is really good too. Yeah, hard to get, but uh, or not, you know, producing very limited yeah. uh, amounts, but it's always very good. What's your favourite venue? If you could go to any venue in the world right now, what would it be? Oh, I, this one, this one sort of stubbed me a bit because I actually go. I like to spread my wings. I don't have one that I would say is favourite, but recently and would go back and stuff would be Cafe Pachi. Yeah, right. A good little inner west venue. It's just got a great vibe to it, and the food's obviously amazing. I still have not had the chance to go, but um, I have only heard it's quite a chefy restaurant, right? Like um, a chef's restaurant. It's it's one of my faves, and uh, Luke, I'm pretty sure I owe you for one. So when you're next in town, my shout. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's got a good vibe to it. It's pretty laid back, but the food's exceptional. You can sit at the bar, you can sit at a table, open kitchen. It's good. I mean, I don't really go to bars or nightclubs. Like I don't go to nightclubs anymore, so I can't give you an answer on that side of the business. Finally, mate, who in the industry are you most inspired by and why? I, getting back to it, I think I mentioned his name, is I I would bounce most things off Brad Jenkins from from um, Lewis Leisure. I think he's he brought a, a different way of thinking to the business. Like, I think he really treated them like a business early off, and I think you can see that from the success of their venues, that the way that they run and obviously the size that they are. I think, he, and again, it was a bit like what we discussed on it was it was a guy that sort of fell into the industry and has, I think he's done some amazing stuff within it. So, yeah, I think he's an incredible operator. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. 
Well, mate, thank you so much again for coming on. Really appreciate your time. And um, yeah, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Yeah, absolutely. All right, boys. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks, mate.